Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 12 and 13, is our text tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. There is an ongoing discussion on what the greatest lies to have ever been told are. There are multiple different people that have assembled lists of top five, top 10, top 20 lies that have been told in the history of humanity. And some of them are, are well-known. Some of them are, are not as well-known, but you guys will probably recognize some of them on that list. One of the more popular ones that made the list, though it's known by many to be a myth, is the Trojan horse uh, that was known to, to enter a city and, and release soldiers. It was, it was given as a gift, which was a lie, as it released soldiers to destroy a city. No one knows if it actually happened, but is listed on every single list as one of the top ten lies to have ever been told. Another one is uh, the, the Piltdown Man is a forged attempt to create a missing link between uh, man and, and monkey. And, and it was tried to be supported. Someone that was trying to prove that theory created this skull. And it, and it stood for a little while before it was proven to be completely false. There are uh, many more lies that have, that have withstood the test of time. One of the more popular ones would be the, the Watergate scandal uh, is known pretty consistently as the number two lie of all time. And then almost unanimously as the greatest lie to have ever been told is the lie given by Hitler that the Jews were to blame for World War II. It was literally Hitler's political agenda was to create a lie and to spread it. In fact, he was known to have said that if you can make a lie that's big enough, if you can repeat it enough times, say it again and again and again, that people cannot help but believe it. And that was shown to be true as the Jews were persecuted for actions that they never committed. The power of a lie has withstood the test of time. But the greatest lie to ever have been told is not found on any of those lists. The greatest lie to have ever been told is the first lie. That is, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God told Adam that you shall not eat of any fruit, that you, you may eat of any tree except for the tree that is in the middle of the garden. He says, on the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And we know that Satan said to Eve, just the opposite of God's words. Satan said, you surely shall not die. Adam and Eve took the fruit, they ate of it, and mankind today still feels the impacts of two people believing that first lie, taking the words of God, flipping them upside down. God said, you shall die. Satan said, you shall not die. That first lie has altered humanity. Every one of us feels the impacts of that first lie every single day. The reality is that Satan hasn't changed since that time. The lies that Satan spreads have not changed. He's been playing the same game 
Using the same temptations, tossing the same lies to us time after time after time. And the reality is that we are a gullible people. We believe those lies day after day after day. The lies that trick us once get us again. As he continues to toss these these same repetitive lies at us, we find ourselves gullibly buying the lies that are given. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth about the mistakes that Israel had made. He, he talks about how Israel was incredibly close to God, how much God had brought them through, how much God had done for them. And yet in verse, in verse five of Corinthians chapter 10, it says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. In other words, most of them were buried in the wilderness because Despite the situation that they had been given, despite their incredible situation as the people of God, God was not pleased with them because of their disobedience. So Paul takes this truth, these historical truths of Israel, and what he does is he translates them directly to the church of Corinth. He says, you know what Israel did. He says, don't be like Israel. You know the sins they committed. Don't do what they did. He says, do not be idolaters. Don't be immoral. Don't test God. Don't be grumblers. The Israelites were those things and they paid Dearly. He translates the people of Israel to direct application to the church at Corinth. And I think that we can find tonight the exact same direct application in our lives today. In this text, Paul is addressing the issue of temptation. Specifically, resisting temptation, a feat that the Israelites had failed to do. He's responding to a specific issue in Corinth, a mindset that they would have had, a lifestyle that they would have emulated, lies that they would have repeatedly believed, lies that they had bought. The same lies that were given to Eve in the garden, the same lies that have carried throughout humanity, Corinth believed those same lies. And tonight we are going to look at three lies of temptation. We'll be looking at three lies of temptation as we realize that Satan's lies have not changed. We're going to be in verses 12 and 13. I'm going to start in verse 12. You're welcome to follow along in your Bibles. Paul writes, therefore, after concluding everything that he said about Israel, he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us through this text this evening, Lord, that you would give me the words to most accurately show the intention that you had from your word. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to resist temptation tonight and how to become more like Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. We're looking at three lies of temptation tonight. Three lies of temptation that are specifically outlined in this text. We understand what Paul is doing when we look at the context here. The first lie that is revealed 
The first lie that Satan repeatedly tosses and the first lie that we see in this text is the lie of immunity to temptation. Immunity to temptation. It is a lie that says you are immune to temptation. You are not in danger. You are not someone that should be worried about falling. You are immune to temptation. Look at verse 12. Paul writes, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. The reality is that temptation is in its best position when you think that you are immune to it. Temptation's desire is that you think that you are immune, that you think you are on a spiritual pedestal, that you think you are not in danger of falling. And it is in that point that Paul says that you are in trouble. He says to the man who thinks he stands, take heed that he does not fall. Imagine a, a soldier that has been standing guard. He, he's guarding a specific building and he's been standing there for, for three, four hours. It's, it's hot outside. He, he's getting tired. And so what, what, what he does is he, he hasn't heard anyone. He's not really worried about any danger. He hasn't seen anything for days. And so he says, you know what? I'm getting a little warm. I'm going to take off my helmet. I'm going to take off my, my bulletproof vest. I'm going to lay down my gun and I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to relax. I'm going to Take a nice, cool sip of water. Unknown to him, the enemy is watching. The enemy is waiting. The enemy is looking for the perfect opportunity to attack. And there is no better opportunity that can present itself than when a soldier takes off his armor, than when he lays down his weapon, and when he stands unguarded. What Paul is addressing is that in a spiritual sense. It is so easy for us to be, to think that we are immune to temptation, to think that I I don't have to worry about that sin. I've conquered that. That is in my past. I, I stand on solid ground here. I'm not worried about, about that threat. I can lay my guard down thinking that we stand. The issue that Paul is attacking here is spiritual pride, spiritual pride, thinking that you stand. An overconfidence in your spiritual position. He has already outlined the failures of Israel. He has said they are immoral. They are idolaters. They tested God. They are grumblers. And for each one of those mistakes that they made, he outlined them specifically. He said for each one of those things that they did, they paid a price and they paid dearly. And as he translates that situation to the Corinthian church, what Paul is trying to emphasize is that what condemned this people, what condemned the Israelites was their spiritual pride. He said, look, this is what Israel did. This is the struggle that they had. This is where they failed. And then he looks at the people of Corinth and he says to the one who thinks he stands, take heed that you do not fall. He's applying the situation of Israel directly to Corinth. And he's saying the situation that they fell in, you are vulnerable to that same situation. And so what we see is that Paul is attacking the issue of spiritual pride in this text. He understood that spiritual pride is cross-cultural. What Israel did nationally, you and I do individually. Spiritual pride is, it's, it's so dangerous and yet it is so easy to come by. 
It's, it's so easy for us to fall into this temptation, this, this temptation of, of thinking that we have it all figured out, of thinking that, that we can have this spiritual pride, uh, of thinking that we have the difficulties and the trials and the temptations of life all figured out. Once, once we have things, once we start thinking that we have things figured out, once we start thinking that we know what we're doing, what we start doing is we start comparing ourselves to other people. Man, I find this in my life. I start, I start looking at other people and I'm saying, man, they, they don't have the desires that I have. If they, if they could only serve like me or, or if, if they could only think like me, if they could only have the work ethic that I have. And, and what we start to do is we start to, we look at the people around us and we compare and we start to build ourselves up, developing spiritual pride because of those around us and their inabilities. The problem with that is the reality is when you choose to emphasize a specific thing in your life, you can probably find a decent number of people that you're better at at one thing. As I look around, we all have different strengths and weaknesses. Scripture talks about how God has gifted us all in different ways. But what happens in spiritual pride is we begin to compare ourselves to people around us. And when I begin comparing, when I begin looking around at the people around me, when I begin to see how I am better than those around me and how their weaknesses are significant, I begin to develop Develop this spiritual pride. And it is dangerous. It is so dangerous. It's easy to find people that, that, that I'm better at one or two things then. Especially if I, if I limit it to the people that, that I relate with specifically. I mean, if I, if I stay in a small enough bowl, I can be a pretty big fish. I, if I compare myself, it's really easy to build myself up. That is not the biblical pattern. I, I am not to compare myself to those that, that I can find who are inferior to me. Rather, I live my life with one target in mind. It's not, it's not to win some moralistic race. It, it's not to, to find the ways that I'm more righteous in specific areas than the people around me. My target, my goal, what I am living for is to live Christ. That is my desire. That is my passion. He is my target. I'm looking up to Jesus, not around to the believers around me, not down to those who I can find ways that, that I may think I'm better than them in certain situations. But what happens is that we begin to develop this spiritual pride and we begin to look down on others. And when we're looking down on others, we're not looking up at Christ. And what Paul says is when you think you stand, when you have this self-confidence, when you think you've got it all figured out, when you're, when you're looking around and, and seeing how you're better than everyone else around you, when you think you stand, you take heed. You watch out. The reality is that temptation doesn't want you looking at Christ. Temptation doesn't desire that you look up. Temptation desires that you look around me. When you're focused on the people around you, in a critical sense, you have bought this lie of immunity. 
You have began to build your life, not around modeling after Christ, but around how can I do better than the people around me? And the biblical model is just the opposite. This is the lie of immunity. It is so, so dangerous to think that you are untouchable. It is so dangerous to think, spiritually speaking, that you stand. What, what, what Paul is telling us here is that that is when you are most vulnerable. The marks of this in our lives are incredibly, incredibly subtle. You have, to, you have to watch very carefully for signs of spiritual pride. Because it's when you think you stand. It's when you think that you have everything mastered. It's when you think that you're doing better than everyone else around you that you are in your best position to fall. Note in this text that this is a mental play. He says... In verse 12, he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed. The emphasis there is that there's a mental awareness. This person has has the mental capacity that that they stand. It It doesn't mean that they are standing. It doesn't mean that they have the right to be confident. It doesn't mean that they've done anything to achieve this, but rather that they think they stand. And what Paul says is when you think you stand, when you and your evaluation of yourself think you have it all figured out, he says, take heed, take heed. That command to take heed is a, is a interesting phrase there. He's, he's, he's saying, watch out. There's a, there's a visual terminology there of keeping your eye out for something of keeping a visual lock on something, literally watching out. When I played football on defense, there was a specific thing that you had to do. And it was a temptation to not do this thing almost every single play. When you saw someone with the ball, your job was to tackle them. And so what you tended to do is you tended to lock eyes on that one person. You would lock in on them and you would charge them. But what happens is that there are actually five, six, seven, eight other guys on the field that are specifically designated to keep you off of that guy. And so when you lock in on one person, you get blindsided. When you have your eyes focused on that one target, you don't see everyone else coming and you get blindsided. What Paul is saying here is keep your head on a swivel. Watch out. Keep your guard up. Have your defense strong. Watch out. Take heed. Because as soon as you stop doing that, as soon as you start taking off your armor, as soon as you start laying down your weapon because you think you stand, you're going to get blindsided because you are vulnerable at that state. It is dangerous to have that spiritual pride. The reason that he gives Why do we take heed? We take heed so that we do not fall. Understand that you are always vulnerable. I have to constantly remind myself of the vulnerableness that I have towards sin, towards temptation. Whether you think you stand or not, you are vulnerable. We talked about this in the the Sermon on the Mount that that we looked at a couple Sundays ago. This This is being poor in spirit. This is having a proper awareness of your spiritual state before God. Not being overly confident in your position, but being someone that is marked by spiritual humility. Take heed lest you fall. 
Nobody is immune, but that is exactly what temptation wants you to believe that, that you are, you're not a victim. You're immune. You're good to go. You don't have to worry. Your guard doesn't have to be up. You are set. But Paul says to the one who thinks he stands, watch out that you do not fall because we know that immunity to temptation is a lie. You can never say, I am safe from that sin. You can never let your guard down towards sin. The first lie that we see is immunity towards temptation. Paul moves on into his second lie. The second lie is a lie about temptation itself. And that is the individuality of temptation. The individuality of temptation. Paul says in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Now we understand the the, the context of Israel's mistakes here. Paul has just pointed out, that Israel just made a massive list of errors. And here, what he is pointing out is the same mistakes that Israel made in their day. The same errors that they made, the same temptations that they gave into are the exact same temptations that the church of Corinth would have dealt with. They are the exact same temptations that you and I deal with today. He's just outlined all of Israel's mistakes. Then he says, be careful if you think you stand. He says, no temptation has come to you except that which is common to man. This is getting back to the the lack of originality with Satan. It is the same lies. It is the same practice, the same temptations. Nothing has come at you but that which is common to man. There's nothing you're experiencing that prior saints haven't experienced from a temptation standpoint. There's nothing that the devil can throw at you that he hasn't thrown at people in the past. Verse 11 reveals some incredible truth about the role of Israel in our lives. Remember, Paul has just outlined Israel's failures. Look at verse 11. He says, Now these things happened, the failures and punishment of Israel. These things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age come. This verse is unbelievable. He's talking about the role that Israel had in our lives. It's that, you know, we ask, why did this happen to Israel? Why did God do this to Israel? This says in verse 11, literally a quote of verse 11 is these things happened to them as an example for you. The difficulties that Israel went through, the temptation that they gave into, the punishment that they received, the wilderness that they endured happened as an example for us. Now we understand that God was doing thousands of things at that time. But Paul says here that that the reason that that happened in his addressing of Corinth is for an example. Literally that you look at what Israel did. You look at how Israel failed. You look at their lifestyle and you learn from it. You learn from it. We're blessed to be in a church that that doesn't avoid the Old Testament. But it's really easy for us to do that in our personal lives, isn't it? Man, I, I find that temptation sometimes when, 
you know, the Old Testament seems so far removed. It seems almost like a burden to read. And then I can get on and move, move to the New Testament. That's way more applicable. What, what, this, what this says is that the reason that was written, the reason that it is in Scripture, is that it's for an example for me. So that we can learn from their mistakes. So that we can learn from their failures. The gravity of this cannot be overstated. Israel's mistakes, they are recorded. They happened for you. We need to learn from them. We need to study Israel. Learn about Israel. Know their errors. Know their mistakes. Understand, it is, it is a crime to not observe and learn from the mistakes of Israel. If these have been given as an example for me, if these have been given to show me how to live, it's a crime to leave those behind and focus on other bigger, more important things when these were given to show me how to live. These were given as an example for us. Temptation has been the same forever. The struggles they went to, the struggles they went through, the example I am to learn from, it's the exact same struggles I deal with today from Genesis chapter 3 till now. Satan's techniques have not changed. Every temptation you experience has been fought by saints before you. Every trial you go through, it's not unique. Other believers have battled it. Other believers has, have gone through it and they have endured. The reality is that no temptation is, is individual. No temptation is unique. Every temptation that you receive is common to man. Temptation's individuality is a lie. The first lie that we have is, is, is a lie of, I, I don't have a problem of thinking I stand. That first lie, I, I, don't, I don't really have a problem. The second lie, once you, once you figure out that you have a problem, the next thing that Satan wants you to believe is that you're the only one with that problem. That you are a loner in your problem. That you are on an island in your problem. That you are on your own without help. And solving the problem is difficult. Why is this? Why does, why does Paul choose to say, look, every temptation that's coming at you, it's common to man. Why does he choose to say that? Because the temptation is to believe that we are on an island with our struggles. That the temptations I receive, I'm on my own. I'm on an island. The uh, African lions hunt, hunt together and, and they typically hunt animals that are bigger than them. And watching those lions hunt, their strategy is very specific. They often attack a herd of animals. And what they do is they charge into the middle of that herd to get the animals to scatter, hoping to isolate one animal, hoping to leave one animal completely on its own. And even though that animal is bigger, if it is isolated, it doesn't stand a chance. If it's on its own, it's not going to survive. That Satan goes about temptation in the exact same way. Make no mistake. He wants you to think that you're on your own. He wants you to think that the temptations you receive are yours and yours alone. That the problems you have, you're the only one with those problems. But what Paul says is, 
No temptation is coming at you, but what's common to man, you're not on an island. You're not battling this alone. This has been served to every believer. When a Christian believes that he is the only one with a struggle, when, when we become introverts, when I start keeping my issues to myself, when I, start, when, when I don't share the struggles and the temptations that I have, I start believing the lie of individuality. Understand that God has given us incredible, incredible resources to resist temptation. He has given us incredible abilities to fight these temptations. We have believers all around us right now. Believers all around us. No temptation is unique to you. You have believers all around you that can sympathize with your struggles. He just said, we have the example of Israel. No temptation is unique. No temptation is solely individual to you. Israel battled these same temptations. We are to learn from their mistakes. Not only that, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us that Christ was tempted in every way as we are and yet was was without sin. You can take your struggles to Christ. You have believers around you. You have believers before you. You have Jesus Christ who can all sympathize with our temptation. There's no temptation but that which is common to man. There is no temptation that is individual. No temptation that is unique. What happens is we we tend to put ourselves on an island. We tend to say, this is my struggle. This is my battle. I don't share my struggles with anyone. I don't share my difficulties. I don't share my problems. I'm on my own. When you're there, you're vulnerable. You're isolated. God gave us specific abilities to resist temptation. The believers around us, we're not, we're not just going to church together. We are fighting a battle together. We are sharing in each other's struggles. We'll talk about that a little bit more soon. This lie is so convincing. We, we feed this lie. We feed this lie every single day that we are on our own. Because what happens is I, I come to church and, and I start interacting with people, right? I mean, this happens all the time. We come to church, we start interacting and, and I'm looking around and I'm like, man, they, they got it all together. They've got this whole thing figured out. I mean, I'm just talking to them and I'm impressed. They've, they've got this all together. I'm, I'm pretty messed up. When the biblical model of how we are to be interacting with each other is that we are to be helping one another. We are to be spurring one another on. We are to be keeping one another accountable, encouraging one another towards godliness. Man, I can't do that if I don't know how you're struggling. We can't do that if we're not sharing our temptations. But the lie that is so easy to believe is that, man, this temptation I'm feeling, this is me. I'm on my own. But what Paul says, what God desires for us to believe is that there's no temptation that's come at you, but what is common to man. It's common. Satan's not original. He repeats the same lies. He repeats the same temptations. The heroes of old experienced it. Jesus Christ experienced it. 
The believers around you have experienced it. Second lie that we see is the individuality of temptation. Because we know that the individuality of temptation is a lie, you can never say, I am all alone in my sin. You can't ever say that. The third lie. Third lie that we see in this text in regards to us is inability in temptation. Inability in temptation. Paul continues in verse 13. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Paul says, God is God is faithful. What a promise to hold to in the midst of this temptation. What he's talking about is that God is, he's not going anywhere. He is reliable. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You can count on him. He's consistent. In other words, the faithfulness of God means that whatever statement comes next, whatever Paul says next, you can count on that being true 100% of the time. There is no doubt to the consistency of whatever Paul says next. He says, God is faithful. In what sense? He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. This next lie that Paul is combating in this statement is the lie of our inability to battle sin. The inability in temptation. So the first lie is you don't, you don't have a problem. You stand. You can think that you stand. You got this all figured out. The second lie is that you're the only one with that problem. And the third lie is that you, you can't resist your problems. You can't resist your problems. The lie of inability says that you are unable to say no to your sin. It's the mindset of not being able to say no, to to not being strong enough to resist the temptation. This is too much. I can't handle this. While that may sound ridiculous, the reality is that we believe this lie so, so easily. One of the reasons that we tend to think that we're unable to resist temptation is because our guard against temptation Never goes up. Temptation creeps right past my guard. Temptation gets to me before I ever realize that it was coming. And before my guard goes up, before my defense is placed, before I can start to fight that temptation, it already has a hold on me because I never saw it coming. We tend to label temptation as, as a big, massive in, internal struggle. We went through a study in, in Activate in our youth group And one of the truths that we walked away with that really helped me understand our battle against temptation is every time you sin, you were tempted. Every time that you sin, you were tempted. You have never sinned without being tempted first. So so think about your sin today. Think about your sin this week. Because I can look back on my week and see all sorts of sin that was present in my life. But when I look back on my week and start thinking of the times when I recognized the temptation and mentally prepared myself and said, I am being tempted. I must guard against this temptation. That's a little bit harder to find. Temptation is smooth. It is hard to detect. But every time you sin, what you're doing is giving in to a temptation. 
How often do you recognize temptation? How often do you see temptation coming? What Christ said to his disciples was watch and pray. Look out and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. We are to be proactive in looking for temptation. Watching out. Beware for temptation. But what happens so often is that my guard never goes up. We never saw temptation coming. It slipped right past without us recognizing it. That is a, that is a major success for the enemy. A major success for the enemy. When we're tempted, but we never saw it coming. When we're tempted, but we didn't recognize it. We've already lost the battle. It'd be like, like going into a fight. One of the worst things you can do in a fight is, is dropping your hands. When you see boxers fight, their hands are up because this is their defense. You need to get through my hands before you can get to my face. When I drop my hands, I become vulnerable. There's nothing standing between them and striking me. When I don't have my guard up against temptation, when I don't have, when I'm not looking out, when I'm not watching for temptation to come at me, I'm fighting with my hands down. I'm asking temptation to hit me. What Paul says is that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. What he's saying is you can resist every single temptation. Everyone, you can resist it. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. You realize the the hope that's in that statement? There is no temptation, none, zero, that can come at you that you can't handle. There is no temptation that can be thrown at you that you cannot handle. Why is that? Because God is the one who allows you to be tempted. Scripture tells us that God does not tempt anyone, but we understand that, that Satan is doing nothing completely in and of his own power, that it is God that allows Satan to do what he chooses to do, and that God allows us to be tempted in specific ways, and that there is a purpose behind those. If you're being tempted, you have biblical proof that you can handle it. Biblical proof. The fact that you are being tempted in a specific area tells you that you can conquer that temptation. And this is hopeful. And yet at the same time, this is terrifying. It's hopeful to know that I can resist every single temptation that comes my way. There is a way out of every single one. And yet it's terrifying to know that every time I gave into a temptation... There was a way out. I had a choice. And I chose to give into the temptation. You can never claim. I didn't have the power to resist. I couldn't say no. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But with every temptation, he provides a way of escape. He doesn't just tell us that we can escape. He tells us how we can escape. Look at the end of verse 13. He says, with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. This part's difficult. 
Because the reality is, I want temptations removed from my life. I want to be lifted out of these scenes of temptation. I mean, I have this prayer regularly where I say, God, help me to not be tempted in this way today. Keep me from this temptation today. Now, the reality is that that's an appropriate prayer. Christ told the disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. We are supposed to pray that way. And yet we need to understand that when we are led into temptation, when God allows us to be tempted, we are tempted for a specific reason. There's a reason for it. And so what we need to understand is that God doesn't always remove us from the temptation. He doesn't always say, oh, you're struggling. Let's get that temptation out of your life. God has a purpose in allowing you to be tempted. God has a purpose in the, in the temptations that he allows into our life. What this verse says isn't that the temptation will be removed. I wish it did. It says that it can be endured. This is, this is painful. Because when I find myself praying, I find myself saying, God, take this temptation from my life. Remove this. I want to go over my temptation. I want to dig under my temptation. I want to go around my temptation. But what we see here is that God takes us through our temptations. Endurance. It's painful, it's difficult, it's agonizing, and yet it is part of the plan of God as he allows us to be tempted. He says that the way of escape isn't that you get to run away. The way of escape isn't that the temptation is dropped from your life never to face it again. The way of escape that God has given us is through that temptation, to endure that temptation. And we understand that that can only be done through the strength of Christ. That you and I have no ability to say no to temptation in and of ourselves. That we are completely unable to resist temptation aside from the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. God carries us through temptation. Not so that the temptation is gone forever, but so that you will able to endure it. So that you will be able to resist it. And so that you will be able to grow. Your inability in temptation is a lie. There is no temptation where you are unable. There is never a struggle that you can't resist. There is never a temptation that you cannot endure. Because we know that our inability in temptation is a lie. Because we know that that is a lie. You can never say, I had to give in to my sin. Can't say it. There's always a way of escape. God has always provided a way out. He is the one that has allowed us to be tempted. He is the one that desires to see us through that temptation. So tonight we see three lies. We see the immunity to temptation that comes so easily through spiritual pride. The mindset of, I don't have a problem. I'm good. I stand strong. To which Paul says, you're vulnerable. You watch out. You take heed. When you think you stand, you're vulnerable. Second lie is the individuality of temptation. The thought that I'm the only one with this problem. I'm on my own. I'm on an island. To which we see we have 
other believers around us, to encourage us, to spur us on. We have Israel who has laid a pattern for our lives, who has been given as an example for us. We have Jesus Christ who has endured the same temptation. And the third temptation, the third lie is inability in temptation. The mindset that I can't resist my problems. I can't say no. Scripture makes it clear that that's not true. Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would... Help us to have an appropriate mindset in regards to temptation, Lord, that you would help us to disbelieve the lies that we so easily fall into, the traps that are so easy for us to buy. Lord, we know that we are not on an island, that we are to encourage one another, to to help one another. Lord, help us to, to be a church that's marked by that, Lord. Pray that you bless the rest of our evening together. We thank you for everything that you've given us. In your name we pray. Amen.